been telling you stories about my grandpa, my grandpa Shipley, Bud Shipley. He, he had this saying that he would say just when we would leave, and after we prayed, he would say, remember whose you are, R-W-Y-A. If you forget everything else, he wanted us to remember that we belong to the family and that we belong to the Lord. And he had this dial indicator service, and he had put it on his pens, R-W-Y-A. Not so long ago, my mother gave me this little Bible. This belonged to my grandfather, Bud Shipley. Um, it belonged to his mother, uh, my great-grandmother, first. I, when I got it, I wondered uh, if he'd made personal notations in it. He had, this is what it looks like, in the back flyleaf. You see this? Grandpa wrote R-W-Y-A. And they refer to these passages. Go to the next slide. And then this is what it says when you go to those passages. It's the, and he has it again here, R-W-Y-A, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. As much as Christ is God's, you are Christ's when you're in him. That's what I read in my grandfather's little Bible, remember whose you are. My grandpa must have known that there would be in our lifetime a crisis and a, an assault on our identity. And we know that the Apostle Paul understood that, that the people would need to know who they are in Christ. And so in, in prison, in prison, he sits down and he writes a letter that would be distributed to Christian people throughout a whole region. And we know the letter is Ephesians. You have a copy of your Bible. You want to take it and turn to Ephesians. This is one of the richest places in the Bible. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the pastor of a great evangelical church in London during the Second World War. He began preaching through the epistle to the Ephesians. The first volume of his sermons on chapter 1 alone are 37 sermons. You thought I drug series out. 37 sermons. There were 230 sermons in D. Martin Lloyd-Jones' messages on Ephesians. And if I was as good as him, I could preach 237 sermons, but I'm not. There are, uh, Calvin preached 48 sermons in a series on Ephesians. It took up 705 pages. Here's one I think is interesting. I have a book in my library by a Puritan whose name is William Gurnall. William Gurnall is famous for this particular book called The Christian in Complete Armor. Spurgeon said if he was marooned on a desert island and he had only one book besides the Bible, it would be William Gurnall's The Christian in Complete Armor. And The Christian in Complete Armor is a 1,200-page book that expounds Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 alone. 1,200 pages. And it's good. Every word of it, it's good. Pastor Leo said during his ministry here, he preached through the book of Ephesians twice. And, um, and uh, a, rich, a richness. We will someday go slowly through the book of Ephesians, maybe, maybe someday soon. But right now, what we're doing is we're in a four-part end-of-the-summer series on the Christian's identity. Just kind of just doing the drone flight slow, a little slow, over the book of Ephesians, just to remind us, 
who we are. And this is rich, this is valuable. Let's review, in Christ you are blessed and you are privileged. In Christ you are chosen and you are cherished. This is a review in case you guys were bad and you went to the beach the first couple of weeks, okay? But you're still, if you're in Christ, these things are still true about you, even if you went to the beach. In Christ you are <coughs> holy and blameless. In Christ, you're accepted and you're included and you're adopted into God's family. In Christ, this is sweet, you are forgiven and cleansed. Can I get an amen on that? That's one of my favorite ones. In Christ, you're trusted with the mysteries of God. In particular, the mystery that is the truth about the church. And then in Christ, you are spiritually wealthy. And that brings us to point number eight today. And that is this. In Christ, you are sealed and you're safe and you're secure. And when we say sealed, what are we talking about? We're talking about being sealed with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Take your Bible now and look in Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to see this rich piece of Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Verse 14 says, Who, the promised Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is rich. Let's just read that again. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And we're talking here about being sealed with the Spirit. And we're going to talk for a minute about what does that mean? And why does that matter? And, and, and the idea here is you're sealed, you're safe, you're secure if you're in Christ. Because in him also, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory? Now, they say Ephesus was a seaport town and sometimes timber, lumber, timber was delivered to other places in the world and other goods were delivered from, to other places in the world from the port in Ephesus. And in the ancient world, it was common to place a seal on something that would be delivered. And, and they say it was a mark of three things. A seal was a, was a mark of ownership. A seal was, a, was not only a mark of ownership, but it was a sign that a transaction is finished. A seal is a guarantee of future delivery. And when Paul wrote to the people in Ephesians, the presence of the Holy Spirit living in you is a seal. He meant to say to them that the fact that when you believed, the Holy Spirit indwelt you is a mark of ownership. It is a guarantee of future delivery. And it's a sign that a transaction is finished. This is interesting because the, the, this, what we're talking about here is the, the truth that we're talking about, that Paul is writing about, is the indwelling spirit. And, and he says it's a promise. And the reason he says it's a promise is because it's promised in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come and, and that he would minister in an unusual or special way after Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. 
and then he ministered in post-resurrection appearances, and then he ascended, and then later he sent the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, God is omnipresent, so the Holy Spirit was present in the world. But the Holy Spirit's unique work in a believer to infill or to, to the indwelling Holy Spirit on every single believer, and there was a sign of this at Pentecost. So now, as believers, when you believe the gospel that Jesus Christ was died and was buried and rose again to pay for your sin, when you believe you're in Christ, you're born again, and you have the indwelling spirit. And the indwelling spirit is a, is a promise that was given in the Old Testament. It was a promise. The second thing it is, if you see that, it says, in him also, when you heard... <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him, you're sealed with the promised spirit who's the guarantee. So he's a promise, a seal, and a guarantee. So we already talked about promise, and we'll talk about, let's talk about the, the seal. Um, it's uh, the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you, and that he never is going to go away, is the mark of ownership, is the sign of, of a, a finished transaction is a guarantee of future delivery. And the language of this specifically says that. Notice again what it says, thinking about that. Who, who's it referring to? Who, who's it referring to? Say it out loud. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. See that? We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who, the indwelling Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, this, so, so you have the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a believer. And the fact of the Holy Spirit living in you is a mark of ownership, sign, a, a, a sign of finished transaction, guarantee of future delivery. That's what this is saying. And then it says it, it's a guarantee or it is uh, an earnest or a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. Um, you, what if you had an aunt that was very, very wealthy? This is going to be a fun story. You have a very, very wealthy aunt who's always reminding you that you are in her will. You love that aunt. You just, she's very special to you. You mow her lawn, don't you? You go over there and you visit with her. She said, she's very wealthy. You know she's very, very, very wealthy and that you, and you're you're, every once in a while, she gives you a little something. But she says, you know, one day, you're going to have this great inheritance. It, it, and then you, you say, well, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. You don't want to say, you know, I'm looking forward to that. But you, but you want to say, I appreciate that. Because someday, there's going to be this delivery. This, uh, of, of this, so you have, a, so are you wealthy right now? Well, yeah, kind of. You're in the will. Um, but the day of the delivery of that wealth, well, now that'll be a real special day, won't it? That'll be a real special day. Please don't forget about me when that happens to you. Guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're safe. You're, you're sealed with the Spirit. So you're safe and you're secure. This is the idea. Believers in Christ, genuine believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit promise that he will never go away. 
I, if you believe you can lose your salvation, you have to explain this verse to me. I don't know any other way to understand it. If you believe that you can be saved and then be lost later, I want you to explain why in the world would God say to us, when you get saved, which is what it says right here, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then he is a seal. It's my promise, God's promise, that there will be the delivery. One day you will require the whole possession of your inheritance. Then what does it mean if it doesn't mean that? What promise would it be at, if God would say, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, but I may take him back later. It's not what he says. Once you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you are secure. You just want to make sure you actually do have the Holy Spirit living in you. Some people think they do, and they don't. And they, have no, they should have no security. But the Scriptures do plainly say, and this is my task today, just to rifle through the riches that you have. And one of them is, you're safe, and you're secure, and you're sealed if you're in Jesus. I want you to imagine with me that you own, oh, let's just say, a nice vintage red Ford pickup truck. I wouldn't mind having a nice vintage red Ford pickup truck like any good red-blooded American male would want. Let's say that you have one for sale and I'm driving down your road. Let's say that my daughter Hope and I are out driving and we see this red Ford pickup and I think, wait a minute, that's the truck of my dreams right there. And I stop by and you're asking a very fair price, but I don't have any cash with me. And so I say, do not let this truck go to anybody else. And then you say, you're really smart, so what do you say to me? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need, I'm going to need a down payment here. And I'm like, can you hold my debit card? And you're like, no. Can I tell you this? I, 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 we're friends, right? We're, like, we're buddies, so I can tell. When I bought my house from Charles Perlos, who we got to baptize right here before he went to heaven, when I bought my house from Charles Perlos, I gave him a check for $1,000. And I said, can you hold on to that? Because I don't have any money in the bank. And he said, yes. And he held that money, <laughs> that cold one fat. You're talking, you're listening to a preacher who wrote a bad check for his house. Yeah, that's right. But I agree. It was agreement. The down payment was $1,000 that I didn't have in the bank. Is that great? And then later on, I said, okay, you put it in the bank now. And uh, isn't that cool? Anyway, so now we're back and I'm buying your red, vintage red Ford pickup truck. It doesn't have any rust. It's beautiful. And, and so I'm like, I don't have any money. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You do not sell this to anybody else. I'm going to leave hope with you. <laughs> Got a question for you. Am I going to come back? <laughs> Guaranteed I'm going to come back. Because I would die for hope. Jesus said, this relationship that I have with you, I don't want you to live in fear I don't want you to live in doubt. I don't want you to wonder. If somebody tells you you cannot know that you're saved, then that's wrong. The Bible plainly teaches that you can know that you have eternal life. John, who hung out with Jesus, wrote a book about this. These things have I written unto you so that you can know that you have eternal life. Can you know that you have eternal life? Yes. If it depends on your works, you cannot know that you have eternal life. But does it depend on your works? Look what it says right here in the Bible. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. When were you sealed? 
say when I believed so you're saved in an instant when you believe that Jesus died for your sin so if someone comes along and they tell you you have to earn your salvation they would be wrong because they would be disagreeing with the Bible which specifically says that salvation is a gift that's given to you and the moment that it's given to you you are eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption that's why it says to the praise of his glorious grace if you are not praising him because of that then you might want to think about that for a while because our salvation doesn't depend on our goodness it depends on his goodness it doesn't depend on our merit it depends on his mercy and he promised that he would give us his Holy Spirit as a down payment that he's going to come back and he's going to purchase the whole thing and he's going to take us to heaven that's kind of cool isn't it that's just point number one and I'm not charging extra today number two is number nine in the outline you are spiritually strong and powerful this is really important in, in Ephesians because Ephesians Ephesus was a dark place if you read the book of Ephesians go out on your porch take the book of Ephesians just read it or listen to it on an app and listen for spiritual warfare talk in Ephesians of course you'll find it in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 because that's probably the, the, the you know the, the, the mountain peak of scripture on spiritual warfare right Ephesians chapter 6 but that's only the culmination of a number of references in, in, in Ephesians to spiritual oppression to, and, and, and I'm telling you this I believe in my heart that America as much as I love it is getting spiritually darker by the moment and things are happening in America that civilized people should not tolerate. When you think about, do you know how many women there are in this nation that would love to have a little baby growing inside them? How would they love to have a little baby growing inside them? And to know that that little baby over nine months is going to be you know, a viable living human being. And I think that in our nation, there are states, and Michigan's fighting right now to not become one of those states where it is legal to dismember and to kill that baby up until the moment before it's born. Civilized people don't believe that way. They don't behave that way. I'm not saying that if you have failed in some way and you've been involved in some, some terrible sin that you cannot be forgiven the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives includes the there are murderers in the Bible who are forgiven children of God thanks be unto God but let's call it what it is a nation that's trying to decide if it's okay to take up to, to literally to dismember a little baby just because it hasn't been born yet and to throw its remains in the trash is far from God so we live in a time of spiritual darkness. Don't kid yourself. And they lived in a time of spiritual darkness. And it wasn't, it isn't worse now, it wasn't worse then. It's just a time of great spiritual darkness. What Paul wants them to understand is that if they're in Christ, the power that's in them is greater than the dark power that's working in the dark world that we live in. This is what we need to hear, right? And so let's take a look at where it says this. We're right now in Ephesians 1, 15 through 21. And as I read, I just want you to listen. We're going to read some extended passages of Scripture from Ephesians. And I just want you to hear, listen for references to spiritual power. In other words, we're talking about 
demons and angels and God and men. Get it? Okay. So listen to verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. Catch that. The immeasurable greatness of his power. Listen in Ephesians for the power language. It refers to dark forces and power. It refers to dark forces in the heavenly places, demonic powers, and refers to God's power through his people who are indwelt by his spirit. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe according to the working of his great might? Um, later on in Ephesians 6, it's going to say, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He wants the Ephesian believers to understand they're in a very dark world where spiritual forces are at work about them all the time. But they have the power of God in them. And so they're spiritually powerful. This is very real, very important. In verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to verse 21. Far above all, and this is references to demonic powers, rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see what he's done here? He said, there is no being more powerful than God. And there's no place where there's a being more powerful than God. And there's no time when there's a being more powerful than God. And that would mean, right? That would mean us. That would include us. You feel weak sometimes. Am I right? You feel weak to fight your own temptations. You feel weak to stand against the evil in your world. You feel weak to wrestle down maybe the discouragement or the depression or the anxiety that come to you. And I, these are all very mysterious things, but I will tell you this. God is greater than all of that, and he lives in you. If you are in him, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and that's greater than any spiritual force in the universe ever. I was waiting because I knew you'd want to say amen right there. Okay, so now Ephesians chapter 3, you were just like shocked, weren't you? You are like, huh. Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm not really sure. I, Leo, you and I should probably have a talk about this. You could probably school me on this. We should talk about this. I'm not positive what this means why, or why this is. In scholars, they, they write a lot about this. Why did Paul regularly say that it was important to declare the gospel to demonic authorities? Good question. That's something to noodle on this week because college football hasn't really gotten started yet. So, so why did God, why did God, why did Paul regularly say, hey, preach the gospel? He said, you know, preach the gospel to unbelievers, but he also says preach the gospel to the demons. It's, it's interesting. Here, here's what I think. I think, and this is just this is a theory, okay? And and that is that God wanted him and wants us to just simply declare the authority of 
God over everything in Christ. And he wanted us to be aware of that and to know that. But there's a great mystery here that we, and seriously, Leo, we, we really should have coffee over this one. Um, but, but, and, and if you, you should study that. But look what it says. And, and so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, let me just take a little detour really quick and now we'll come back. It's like in the heavenlies, the angels and the demons care about gospel work in the world. They don't care about Big Ten football that much, but they care a lot about the gospel, the advance of the gospel. Who does? The angels and the, the demons. So if they care in the heavenlies most about that, maybe it'd be a good idea for us to care more about that. Did I ever mention this? When I was a kid in school, I wasn't very smart like I am now. Um, and so, just kidding. I wasn't that smart. So I would look around at the smart kids, and I would notice when they were taking notes. Because smart kids know when stuff's going to be on the test, and they write it down. This is a little tip I'm going to give you for free. If you're still in school, when the smart kids are writing, write it down. Right? Whatever the smart kids are writing down, write it down. Better yet, get a smart girl in your class, be really nice to her, have her loan you her notes even better. Well, I'm just saying, when the, when, the, when the smart people are writing, you write it down. I'm just telling you this. If the angels and the demons in heaven are leaning over and going, oh, what's going on here? Then it might be important for you to make a note of that. See what I'm saying? Pa Paul is saying this is about spiritual warfare, but you, and then look in, that would be, that was uh, 3, uh, 10 and 11. And then, of course, you have chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, which is a whole Beautiful, powerful statement about be strong in the Lord and the powers of might and stand against the wiles of the devil and, and all the principalities and powers and demonic forces. And you see this in the, in the scriptures. So you don't want to get all weird about it, but you do want to understand there are dark forces at work in this world. There are dark forces at work in every church. There were dark forces at work among Jesus' disciples. Remember, get thee behind me, Satan, he says. Right to the same guy that he earlier had said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but God revealed this to you. And so don't be surprised if, you know, impure thoughts, wrong thoughts, godless thoughts, false ideas are, you know, are introduced into a group of Christian people because there's a real warfare going on, the scriptures say, in the heavenlies. You probably remember me telling you about the girl that showed up at camp and she declared to everybody that she was a practicing witch, which was sort of interesting. All the kids were kind of freaked out. There's this girl, she's dressed in black, she's a practicing witch. And that was, the, nobody knew her name, but they called her, you know, the practicing witch. And it kind of freaked the kids out. They would be hiding over here and there, and on the way to chapel one night, the speaker's going to chapel, and he sees a couple girls cowering behind a tree over here. And he goes over and says, what's going on? We're having chapel. And they're like, there's a girl here, and she's a practicing witch. And they're really scared. He says, come with me. And they follow him, and he walks over to the chapel where the band is playing, and there's like 300 kids under just hands in the air, just singing. And he goes, look at that, 300 practicing Christians. <laughs> One practicing witch, 300 practicing Christians. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, this ain't over. And when it is over, we're gonna win. And the Holy Spirit lives in you, 
so you are spiritually strong and powerful. Live like it. That's something. Okay, then the third one today, and number 10 in our cumulative list is, in Christ you have a home, and you have a place where you belong. In Christ, you belong. And I hope you understand in, in human terms how wonderful that is. You may or may not have the experience of a home where you belong in this earth. Not everybody does. My parents moved around so much. I didn't mind. It was good. We moved around a lot. So we didn't really find one place that we identified with so much or one town. But there was this place in, in Ohio where my grandfather, Pierpont, lived and the whole, my whole life uh, till growing up in my home. This was the constant place that we would go back to. The Shipleys had the little place on Otten Road. The Pierpunts had the farm in Ohio. And to go to the farm in Ohio was a wonderful thing. It always smelled the same. There were people there that loved you. And they were so looking forward to you being there. And they knew what you liked. And they had it ready for you. For years, I thought my grandfather loved Captain Crunch. My grandfather didn't like Captain Crunch. He ate brand cereals, if you know what I mean. <laughs> my grandfather always made sure that Grandma got Captain Crunch because he knew I loved Captain Crunch. Now I like brand cereals. But anyway, <laughs> I love Captain Crunch. He, he always saw to it because people that, you know, when it's home, they, they make it, you know, a play, they, they prepare a place for you, don't they? One, one year we were going to the farm and we were so looking forward to being there. And it was Christmas. And when we got close, it started to snow really hard. And it was kind of an icy, sleety snow. It was dangerous hills that you, we turned off of the state route and we were weaving our way back through the hills. And the last hill before you get to Grandpa's farm, about a, about a mile and a half from the farm, was a place Grandpa called Sadie's Hill. He made that up because there's a lady named Sadie who lived at the foot of that hill. And at Sadie's Hill, our car wouldn't make the grade. There's a sheet of ice. And my dad's kind of got a flair for melodrama. He's like, guys, I don't know if we're going to make it to the farm for Christmas this year. I'm like, are you kidding? I will hike like a Jack London novel if I have to. We're going to get to the farm. My dad says, you guys stay here. I'm going to go call Grandpa, see if he can come and get us. And then he gets his gloves on. He pulls his collar up around his ears. And he goes over to Sadie's house. He's in there for a while. And he comes back blowing on his hands. He says, I think we're going to be okay. Just sit tight for a while. I'll never forget this. We're just sitting there like, what's going on? And my dad's just like, just wait. And pretty soon, over the top of that hill, here comes my grandpa, a little Ford 9 and it's in road gear. He's standing up on the thing, you know. And he comes over the top of that hill in that little Ford 9N. He comes down, and he hooks the log chain on, and he drags us up over the top of that hill. And then before long, there was that beautiful golden light in the valley, and my grandma was on a porch, and we were home for Christmas. And God wants you to know you have a home. You might have a rough time in this world. You might not have the happiest home. You may not have the happiest marriage. You may not have a happy experience with your dad or your grandpa or your grandma or grandpa. He wants you to know that he embedded that longing in your heart because someday he's going to bring you home. Now, look at this. This is chapter, you can see this in chapter 2 and, and verse 11. And, and what he's really referring to here, and when we teach this slowly, 
will show you what he's really teaching here. He's trying to help the people understand that Jews and Gentiles alike are going to be now folded into this great mystery called the Church of Jesus Christ. This is God's work in our day, the church. That's what he's referring to. But he also calls it a home or a household or a nation, and, and he uses all this warm, evocative language. It, this is, I'm reading from Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. In other words, you know how the Jewish people picked on you for being Gentiles, you know, godless, wicked, uncircumcised, you know, they called you names. And uh, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then blessed conjunction but now in Christ Jesus you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one broken down the in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both Jews and Gentiles saints and sinners right to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of god you belong you got cut from the team when you were a kid but you're on god's team so that's kind of a big deal, right? You might have been rejected by a wife or abused by a husband, but you're loved by God. And you're on in his family. You may not know what the future is going to hold because things are just kind of shaky for you. You may have spent a lot of your life in loneliness. And God wants you to know that throughout eternity as the ages of eternity roll over and over and over and over again, it's going to be like one big, eternal family reunion among people who love you, who you love, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together into a holy temple to the Lord, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And there's a lot to this. We won't go into much detail, but, you know, the dwelling place of God is the whole temple language that goes throughout the whole Bible. You see it from the, from the garden to the new Jerusalem. The dwelling place of God is a theme that goes through the whole meta-narrative. And who, where, what is the dwelling place of God in our time? It is the gathered church. It's the gathered church. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. People gathered who are possessed by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's true about you. You, in Christ, you have a home and a place where you belong. Um, there's, there's so much more in this. You see it again in chapter 3, verse 6. The mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see it there. You see it in other places. Um, and then uh, number 11 
is this. You're called and you're commissioned and you're sent as a representative of the King of Kings. You're called, you know, and there's so much here. We're really not doing justice to this. This is just a bit of a flower. But if you see, you know, you know here in this text that, that we're referring to, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, Paul calls himself a, a minister according to the gift of grace. Of the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to life for everyone the plan of a mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Paul can't get over that it's his commission to bring this message. And later on, you're going to see as a team, we're given the same commission. And in chapter 4 and verse 11, it's very, very clear that each one of us is uniquely gifted on a team to bring the unsearchable riches of Christ to other people. And that's our, that's our calling, that's our commission. So along with all these other wonderful things like being safe and secure and sealed and spiritually strong and having a home and a place to belong in, we have a commission from God. This is the picture. Sent like heralds, Caruso, heralds of the king. Our message isn't our own, it's the, the message from the king. And it's good news, right? It's a good news message. In a bad news world, we have a good news message from the king of kings, God. That's, so now, don't ever say you don't have anything to do. Don't ever say you live a boring life. If you're living a boring life, you need to go back and read the instructions. You've got a neighbor you can bake carrot cake for. You have a pastor you can bake carrot cake for, for that matter. <laughs> you have a neighbor. No, don't do that. Please, I don't need that. You have a neighbor that you should, you should, you should help them with their breaks. Or you should go over there and help them with their shoveling. Or, and if you're, you're older and that's not safe, please don't do that. But I mean, you know, you, you, should, you should pray for them by name. You should know their kids' names. And you should know what breaks their heart and what they're worried about. You're, a, you're an agent of God in your neighborhood. You're sent by the King of Kings. You have a calling and a commission. You know, you should really, you should really stand up a little straighter. Because you have been sent as a herald by the King of Kings. And so you may not feel that. That's the way it is when he looks down from the heavenlies and he says, I got my people and they're overworking at Home Depot. I got my people and they're getting ready. They're doing a bulletin board for the class and the little kids are about ready to come in and they're going to be listening to every word. They're going to be watching. You're a police officer and you're a peace officer and you help keep an orderly civil world that we all appreciate so much and you are also, you have living in you. You're not just a police officer, you're a police officer that keeps our community safe and you represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's powerful. You think about that. Think about that. And that's a wonderful thing. Herald the King. And then number 12, you thought I would never get to the last point, but I have. Number 12, and this is... This is you are loved with an immense and an eternal love. With an immense and eternal love. You see this all over this letter, but it's especially in the prayer that he prays for the people from verses, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. He has a prayer for the people. The second of the two prayers here is his prayer that the people will basically understand the scope of God's love for them. Everything else happens when God's people understand in the deepest part of their heart how much God really loves them. Never lose your grip on this. You're loved through Christ by the king of the universe. And this is what it says. That's why Paul is saying, this is my prayer for you. This is chapter three, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in in love, get that, may, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. This is a, if you want to have spiritual power, you have spiritual power when you meditate on the love of God. And then it, it says, you, then later on it's going to say, and you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. How can I be strengthened with might by his power in the inner man and filled with all the fullness of God? All I have to do is think deeply about how much God loves me. Now I had a series of messages. One year I wrote a series of messages and I was doing some itinerant preaching. I was preaching to a lot of young people and, and camps and I and this series of messages I called it the grand master key to the universe and one of the things I did when one of the messages I would say to the kids over and over again look for God's love it's everywhere you look in the world everywhere you look in the world is evidence of God's love for you look first in his word where he sent his own son Jesus to die for you and if you wonder if you're loved you know your love if God sent his own son to die for you then you have an immense and eternal love. Your love with, with an immense and eternal love. But here's what I believe, and I told the kids this. I said, I also believe if you love somebody, you don't just tell them once and then turn your back on them and walk away. Am I right? I vowed to love Lois all my life and a reminder many times every day. She rather doesn't appreciate the words as much She's your preach me fixing the barn door and weeding the garden and stuff like that. That's her love language. But, and so I try to figure out a way to make her feel loved every day. And I'm such a selfish man. There is a God in the universe who's not selfish. He doesn't have an ounce of selfishness in him. And he pours love into the world for you every day. And he knows what you like. Do you believe this? I believe this. I believe if you look for it, you'll see the love of God everywhere. I believe that he will show you his love in a way you most want to see it. I just believe that. And I told the kids this. When I preached all summer, my kids were all with me. A lot of times my own kids were with me. A lot of times Lois was with me. I preached a series of messages one year all over the place. We went to Mexico that year for a month. We toured all over Mexico. We went all the way to Monterey, down to Guadalajara. We went on the plazas at nighttime with the people. It was gorgeous time it, when we got back to Texas I was speaking at a conference and I was walking past the, the room where Heidi my daughter Heidi was staying and I heard her crying and I, I backed up and I go Heidi what's wrong and she's just crying I said what's wrong Heidi she said nothing's wrong dad I'm happy like girls have a really funny way of showing their happiness sometimes <laughs> she's just crying I go, what are you happy about? She goes, the whole thing, I was at the desk. We were running the character in, and our, our family kept the desk open 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. In downtown Flint, there was somebody at the desk. And the holidays, and the students would go home, it was our family that would just... So Heidi spent a lot of time running the desk at the character in. Here's what I didn't know. She was saying to God, God, could I get out of here and go do something? Would it be all right if I just got a... She liked to go places, and she was a good girl. She was happy to serve there, and she liked serving, but she was saying to God, whenever she heard me preach all that year, and I would talk about God will love you in a way that you want to be loved, she would say, well, then he's going to let me travel somewhere. She said, Dad, I just couldn't believe it when you told me we're going to go to Mexico for a month. 
It is kind of cute because her hair is blonde, so she was kind of like popular all over Mexico. I have pictures of clusters of boys uh, all around her that wanted their picture taken with her. It was, kind of, it was kind of a happy time for her all over Mexico. People would see her. They'd be like, can I have my picture taken with you? It was a happy time, and she's crying. God wanted Heidi to know he loved her. God wants you to know he loves you too. Start looking for evidence. Lois is a hard case on this. She says, I don't know about that. I go, I think so, honey. I think he'll show you. Came home from the office one day, and she goes, Ken, it happened. I go, what? She goes, it happened to me. I go, what do you mean? She goes, you know, you always say to kids, you know, if you look for evidence that God loves you, he'll show you in a way you'll understand. She goes, it happened to me. I go, what happened? She said, I was planting some flowers outside, and I was thinking about what you said. And I was digging in the garden, and I, and I came across this rock. What's that look like to you? Yeah, that's the very rock. Lois was digging in the garden, and she, she came up with this rock. And she said, okay, I know you love me. You, you don't need a rock. You don't need a trip to Mexico. You need a Bible <laughs> where you can look up what it says about God's love. But I also believe that he loves you, and he'll show you. You're blessed and privileged. You're chosen and cherished. In Christ, you're holy and blameless. You're accepted and included. You're adopted, forgiven, cleansed, trusted with the mysteries of God, spiritually wealthy, safe, sealed, secure, spiritually strong and powerful. You have a home and a place where you belong. You're part of God's people and God's nation. You're called, you're commissioned, and you're sent as representative of the King of Kings, and you're loved with an immense and eternal love. So it really doesn't matter what other people say about you now, does it? If this is what God says about you, this is what Fred Craddock said. I like this. I know I need to be scolded. I know I need to be corrected. I know I need to be instructed. I know I need to be exhorted. And I need to be called to repentance from time to time. But Craddock said, But I also need for you, the preacher, to take me by the hand and let me walk off the size of my inheritance as a child of God. I need every now and then to run my fingers through the unsearchable riches of the treasury of God's grace and then sing the doxology and go home. So you've been running your fingers through the treasury of God's grace. Stand with me and we're going to sing the doxology then we're going to hear another song, and then we're going to go home. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the Praise Father, Son, and 